extend a welcome to you this morning. With the Spirit of God and prayer, we can experience profit this morning. I was blessed in the Sunday school hour as we worshipped and shared together and discussed, um, laid the groundwork for what I want to talk about. If it's all right with you this morning, we're going to have a business meeting. We've got just a few retailers here among us. Davey, I'm going to pick on you. you got the cost of the product, and then you got the retail price of it. And somewhere between there, there used to be a little profit. Is that right? Is that the way it works? See, I'm a farmer, and I don't understand that. <laughs> I don't get to set the price of my product like normal retailers do, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm still digesting that, I guess, but uh, the venture that I'm in is uh, tightly regulated, and I don't honestly understand all of it, how it's accomplished. But, anyway, John D. Rockefeller was the first billionaire in America. Didn't know him personally. Heard a lot about him. Anybody here never heard of John D. Rockefeller? Never heard of him? Letter that he wrote to his son. Let me read it to you. Just a little bit of background. The controversial industrialist John D. Rockefeller, creator of the giant Standard Oil Company, was America's first billionaire and perhaps the greatest philanthropist. Is that correct? That's a tough word for a Dutchman. This country has ever known. To his only son, John D. Rockefeller Jr., entrusted his fortune and his dream to promote the well-being of mankind throughout the world. Here, the 87-year-old father writes to his nearly 48-year-old son, only son, at a time when managing the family's charitable giving was becoming an increasingly complicated and enormously demanding responsibility. This is a letter dated from Ormond Beach, Florida, January 26, 1922. Dear son, as to the sums which I have handled, as for the sums which I have handed you from time to time. It is to be remembered that I have already set aside large amounts in our different trusts for benevolent purposes. In addition to my regular giving personally, and with the careful and protracted study which I give to each object of any considerable moment, it is evident that I shall not fulfill to the complete extent my heart's desire to make everything that I can give to the world available for many years to come. As you are in touch with the world from a somewhat different angle from mine, and there have been ample means left by a kind providence, and that providence is capitalized, so he seems to be giving recognition to God. I give credit to the uh, recognition there. I have hoped that with your constant and careful studies and wide and broad knowledge of the needs of the world, you would have the fullest enjoyment in personally determining and carrying out plans of your own for helping the world. And I rejoice to afford you this opportunity in the confident assurance that great good will result therefrom. I am indeed blessed beyond measure in having a son in whom I can trust, in whom I can trust to this the most particular and most important work. Now catch this at the end. He says, "Go carefully, be conservative, be sure you are right, and then don't be afraid to give out, as your heart prompts you, and as the Lord inspires you with tenderest affections, your Father." I like those last thoughts. He says, "Be sure you are right." And then don't, and then don't, no, be, go carefully, be conservative, be sure you're right, and then don't be afraid, and, and, and then give. And, uh, well, that's probably from a very secular point of view, but somewhere 
from John D. Rockefeller's beginning to his end, there evidently was some profit took place. You might ask why, I, why I'm thinking about profit here. I was thinking about, first of all, there's a couple of things uh, directed me in this way. And uh, last Sunday was our anniversary, Lawson and I's 40th anniversary. And so we did a little getaway and uh, we went to Sparta for Sunday morning church. Brother Joe Brubaker was there and uh, he mentioned his, his sermon was on, on obedience. And uh, he just mentioned profitability in passing and the profitableness of obedience and how it affects our performance uh, to Christ. And he brought these verses out in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16. Uh, another one of the important 3.16s of the Bible. There's quite a number of 3.16s in the Bible that are important. This is one of them. And it's familiar verses. You don't need to turn to them. But he mentioned this verse or verses surrounding it too. But he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That has become one of my favorite verses, especially since uh, Paul Shirk was here and expounded on it. And uh, so I really appreciated that verse. So I was thinking about the idea of profitableness. And, uh, and uh, you know, we, we think about it from perhaps a business standpoint many times. But I want to come back and, and, and make some applications spiritually. And the question you can keep in the back of your mind as we're talking here this morning is how do we evaluate profitability from a spiritual perspective? You know, we know how to do it and calculate it from a numbers standpoint in a business sense. Uh, It's interesting that that profit and its different word forms used in the King James Version is actually found more than I thought. It's actually found about 70 times in our King James Version, the word profit or its different word derivatives. So it is a biblical term. And uh, Webster says profit is any advantage, benefit, or return, income over expense. And I don't know if, if the idea, I was thinking about profit and then I thought about Thanksgiving week and I thought about Black Friday getting some emails about Black Friday events. Uh, and I don't know if this is true or not. Again, I'm not a retailer, so I don't know. I have to fall ask uh, the retailers here. Is it true that the day after Thanksgiving is the turning point from the red ink to the black ink? I don't know. <laughs> it may vary with businesses, I guess, perhaps. But uh, that's somewhat some of the thought. And it actually, I discovered it actually goes quite a ways back further. Because back into the 1800s, the history of the Black Friday where two investors had made a run on the, on the gold market here in, at Wall Street, and we're going to try and buy up all the gold available in the U.S. Well, their scheme unraveled, and the, the stock market plunged, and uh, the, the country was uh, plunged into, uh, into a very, very deep depression. And that was actually, I think, the very, very beginning. But then it got tainted to uh, retail sales. And retail sales actually is a somewhat of a barometer of our total economy performance. You know, how well is, is our country doing? And they use that as a, as a barometer as to, uh, to uh, determine how well the country is performing. One article put it this way. It said, billions spent and millions saved. And the difference between that is, is the profit that the retailers make. Billions spend and millions saved. And uh, so they play that game. The National Retail Federation uh, said there'll probably be about anywhere from 114 to 150 million shoppers spending an average of $300 on that day. So I don't know whether you're going to uh, inflate that number or, or pull down that number, and that's immaterial to me. 
But uh, I found that rather interesting. We live in a consumer world, a consumer culture, particularly here in America. And uh, so we that revolves around that. Then my memory went back just a little bit farther, back to when I was probably about 10 years old, talking about a prophet, if you can endure this. I uh, had the opportunity with my two of my brothers. There was three of us. Uh, we had an old barn, and uh, my dad wasn't using it. So he said uh, we had fattened out and finished off some hogs at different times. He said, I'm not going to be using it. He said, if you three boys want to put a batch of hogs in, finish them off, he said, you know, the profit will be yours. And uh, so we did that. And uh, we did them on contract with one of the mills. And I don't remember if it was Gaiman's Mill from Denver or Dutchman's Mill from Monterey. I, I don't even remember that. I, I don't. I remember a little bit of the work, <laughs> the forking the manure by hand and, and, and checking in on the feed. Um, but you know what I really distinctly remember is the profit that we got at the end. I remember that check. And uh, it was it, the hogs were all gone and expenses were all paid. We got a check for $600 and split three ways. That was $200 a piece. Now you guys sit there and say, wow, $200, that isn't that much. And it, it wasn't. But uh, So I got to thinking, what would $200 be today in today's money? And uh, so they calculated that out for me on a formula. And uh, it would have equated today in today's money would have amounted to about uh, $1,458. So if you want to put that to your current terminology, that would have been my, my share of the profit. Well, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of... Farm products are, are market-oriented, and you don't necessarily get to, you can decide to sell or, or not, but uh, I was looking at some of the other products, what, what the markup is, and uh, bottled water is actually, has, has the highest markup of any retail thing, bottled water. They said it actually is, is about 1,000% marked up. I'm not here to refute that or not. Uh, thought of Davy, and they said furniture and mattresses are 80 to 200 percent. I didn't check with Davy, so you'll have to check with him on that one. But uh, I don't know if he's running any Black Friday specials or not. <laughs> uh, so I went to milk. That directly relates to me. I said, "What about milk?" Well, they said milk is a very highly competitive product. Everybody needs milk, and they said the profit is usually made up between the producer and the retailer. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Didn't I know that already? Did I have to look that up? Anyway, well, from a business standpoint, we need to know our costs, our liquidity. You know, maybe I can, maybe I can tolerate losses for a day, a week, a month, a year. But, you know, somewhere there comes a point that, you know, the, the ratings bleeding too badly, and I've I got to say, look, it's done, it's over. So it's important. Profit is important. And, uh, you know, do I realize that profit is, is more important spiritually as what it is from a business standpoint. That we are profiting spiritually. And this comes back to some of our discussion in the Sunday School lesson. So I want to look at some spiritual applications that will make us indeed profitable spiritually. Turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah chapter 2. This is an Old Testament uh, account, Jeremiah chapter 2. But I thought it kind of related to us as, a, as, as people today. Uh, well, we haven't changed a whole lot. In reality, we haven't. I'm sorry to say. At least I haven't. Maybe I'm telling on myself. I'd like to read Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. This is God coming through the prophet Jeremiah to the children of Israel. Verse 1, Jeremiah 2. Moreover, the word of the Lord came, unto, came to me, saying, 
Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, and the firstfruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil shall come upon him, saith the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, What iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priest said not, Where is the Lord? And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets of, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send unto Kedor, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are not which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, saith the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, they have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a homeborn slave? Why is he spoiled? As I read through that passage of scripture, I thought, you know, how would it sound if I put prairie there instead of, instead of uh, Israel? How would it sound if I put my name personally in there instead of Israel? And uh, we say certainly that's a very sad picture we have here. Uh, spiritual profitability comes from a relationship with God. And that's, I think, what God is coming back to Israel and telling him, you need to cultivate this relationship. He's disappointed in, in what it has degenerated to. Um, he reminds them in verse 2 of the start of that relationship, the kindness, the love, the trust, and the commitment that was there. And all of us can reflect back to that, that initial uh, fervor that we had as we made a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, that needs to, and there needs to be growth from that point on. Uh, it'll become, uh, as a desert, it'll become stale, it'll become stagnant if we do not continue to feed and nourish that growth and love and trust and commitment in that relationship. Verse 3 talks about holiness. Um, that talks about selecting those things that are godlike, uh, allowing um, separation, I believe. And, and, and turning a different way than the world would go. Verse 4 talks about hearing the word of the Lord. Do I have my ear tuned to hear the voice of God? I had to think of the New Testament, the Good Shepherd passage there in John 10. We'll not take the time to turn to it. But you know, there it says how the Good Shepherd, his voice is, is easily recognized by his sheep. Do I have that voice recognition of my shepherd when he speaks to me through his word, by his spirit? Do I recognize his voice? The rest of the verses there in that relationship, and again, what I'm called to, what I'm, what I want you to think about is, is the relationship that develops profitability, and that's our relationship with Jesus Christ. You will benefit from a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
The rest of those verses, verses 5 through 14, says we need to remember and be thankful for what God has done and indebtedness to Him. Someone, I don't know who to credit this to, someone just recently shared this thought. said, if I was to go to bed tonight and woke up in the morning with only the things, possessing only the things that I remembered to thank God for yesterday, how much would I have? If I was to go to bed tonight, slept, woke up in the morning, and I possessed only the things that I remembered to thank, to thank the Lord for, what would I have? The second point that I have is think of um, developing a profitable relationship with the Lord is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Number of verses there, verses 7 through 12. 1 Corinthians 12. This talks about the body. We talked about that in the Sunday school lesson this morning. I'd like to begin reading at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit. To another faith, by the same Spirit. To another the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another divers kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same Spirit, dividing to every man soeverly as he will. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And I'll stop reading there. I realize Dwight talked extensively about the Spirit and the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer here. But I think that is foundational in having a profitable uh, Christian walk with the Lord, is, is allowing God's Spirit free course in my life, and, and especially as it manifests, manifests itself in the brotherhood. Uh, just a couple of things there. Notice, uh, I'll drop back to verse 3. I was going to read verses 1 through 12, and I didn't, but verse 3 talks about uh, the importance of uh, having Him as our Lord. Uh, that Jesus is the Lord by the Holy Ghost. He indwells us by, through the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think it was Mike Wednesday evening asked me in the back between prayer meeting and uh, the instruction class. He said, what are you going to talk about? I said, well, I'm going to talk about Jesus. And that actually was the topic of our, of our subject uh, Wednesday evening. Jesus, our Redeemer. I don't remember exactly the entire title of the subject, but, you know, we need to cultivate that relationship with Jesus. He's, it's important. He's our Savior. He needs to be our Lord. And if He's our Lord, uh, truly our Lord, then we're His servant, and we're taking the calls, we're taking the instructions from Him. And again, His Holy Spirit helps us to understand those instructions. Gives us understanding of what He wants us to do, what He expects us to do. Uh, we have the proof of, of who we are by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Again, that's, that's the proof of that. Then verse 7 talks about sharing, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. What we are blessed with, we need to share. And we have various gifts. We talked about that in the Sunday school lesson. We have various gifts, various uh, ways to share in the brotherhood. We need to share that for the kingdom's sake. Not because of who I am. You ought to wait to hear what I have to say. But I'm sharing it because this is what the Spirit has blessed me with. Faith is another important part of that relationship to Jesus. Uh, again, share that faith. It's not a saving faith. I don't think it's talking about a saving faith. I think it's talking about here in that verse 8, it's talking about uh, 
No, it's verse 9. talks about faith. Verse 9 talks another by faith, by the same Spirit, and other gifts of healing by the same Spirit. Faith to go through different experiences. Sometimes we don't, we can't see our way through, but there's somebody who says, you know, you know, I have, this is, this is the way I see it, and it, it maybe gives us the spur of confidence that we need to go through that experience, whatever the experience may be. Um, could be physical problems, could be um, any, any measure of problems that we as human beings encounter in life. Uh, do we share our faith with the brotherhood? Faith for a specific cause, for a specific need. I believe God expects us to share that faith, that there is a way through it. God has a way through it. And maybe we don't always know the way or the timing of it, but yet there is a way. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And helping us to be patient, wait, and understand what God's plan is. Am I profitable to others for the glory of God and the body? And I like to say, and I think this was mentioned in the Sunday School lesson too, that it can be an impressive testimony to the world as they watch this function as a brotherhood. Uh, as we share in solving the problems that we encounter. The third point that I have is spiritual profitability isn't simply coming to church. This is part of it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad you're here this morning. Memorizing the word, singing, etc. But I, I think it's what we do the other six days of the week that really, really is powerful testimony. And that goes back to, uh, I want to take you back to the book of James. James talks about this. That is the part of our works or the evidence of our faith. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. This is the part we can't leave out. And maybe we sometimes, uh, we don't like to talk about works because we, we don't believe in a works religion, but there needs to be evidence of our, our relationship with God. James 2, verse 14. What doth it profit? Notice that. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and if one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful unto the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone." Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that, that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Somewhere there has to be evidence, there has to be fruit, given of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I have penned below that, uh, that chapter here in James chapter 2. Works is to faith what the Spirit is to the body. You see me this morning. I see you this morning. You look mostly alive. Uh, so I know your spirit is there yet. You know my spirit is there yet. I'm talking. I'm communicating. And I hope it's making sense to you. 
But it says, as 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 the, the spirit is to the body, so works, so faith is to works. You know, we our our uh, our, our works give evidence of that faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Do I give evidence? Do I give convincing evidence of the faith that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ? So if there's no works to substantiate our faith, my faith, your faith, it's of no profit. There's no benefit. There's no profit there. But as we look at our lives and see our faith producing Christ-like responses to the situations that we encounter daily, we are profitable spiritual servants in His kingdom. We can have that confidence this morning. Well, the fourth point that I have is spiritual profitability is measured by the giving up of myself. And I want to go back to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8. I want to read verses 31 uh, through verse 38. Mark 8, verse 31. Jesus here, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Spiritual profitability is measured by how willing I am to be emptied of self. Notice in verse 33 here, Jesus rebuked Peter. Jesus explained to them how he needed to be crucified, killed, and three days rise again. And Peter, Jesus rebuked Peter in verse 33. Peter said, no, it isn't going to be that way. That isn't going to happen. Peter, God rebuked, Jesus rebuked Peter in verse 33, and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God. Do I savor the things that be of God? The NIV says, in relation to that phrase there, it says, we need to have it in mind. And I thought that was an interesting expression. Uh, we need to have God's plan in mind. We need to have God's purposes in mind always. Uh, the King James here uses that idea of savoring. And you think of savoring something, it has the idea of you, know, you continue to, to digest it. You continue to, to taste it. And uh, so it's, it's good to, to savor the things of God. Keep them in mind. Keep them in focus. be another way to express it, perhaps. Verse 34, Christ calls us to follow His example. He says, uh, take up your cross and follow Me. His, his example of denying self and, and taking up His cross is what He calls us to do. If we're willing to do that, be emptied of self, 
You know, verse 35, the loss of physical life in following Christ is insignificant compared to the loss of eternal life. We, we value physical life, and I think God has given us that desire within us, that we, we value physical life. We like it. We treasure it, and, and we mourn at the loss of it. But, you know, how can we somehow get a grip of, of the loss of eternal life? I don't know if we can totally at this point, but from the Scriptures, we need to understand the... Uh, the imperative of, of, of balancing the, or the, the comparative of the two. There, there's no comparison. Physical life versus eternal life. And uh, Jesus in, in tries to help us to understand that. He says, uh, verse 35, Whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels shall save it. You will have eternal life. And uh, that's my desire this morning. I trust that's your desire. God has made an investment in our lives, the lives of all the people of the world, if you stop and think about it. He has given himself. And, uh, you know, what is God looking at? What does God see as he anticipates his return on investment? Am I a profitable servant? In the book of Job, in conclusion here, in the dialogue that takes place back in, in Job's time, Job 22, verse 2, it's actually uh, not Job speaking here, it's Eliphaz, but he says this, Job 2, verse 22, Can a man be profitable unto God? Can a man be profitable unto God? You know, God saw something that was worth investing in. He saw your soul. He saw my soul. He saw the potential. And he was willing to take a risk. And you get that equation, return on investment. What are we giving God on his return, on his investment of his, in, of his life? You know, I, I think it can be a good return on investment for us and for him too if we're willing to follow those four points as we think of spiritual profitability. If I'm going to cultivate that relationship with God, Jesus Christ. And thirdly, or secondly, if I'm willing to be shared and shared. That's what God wants from our lives. He wants us to share and give and be spent. And not just simply one day a week. Seven days a week. That's what makes the difference between Christianity, true Christianity, and nominal Christianity. We live it out seven days a week. And then the fourth point is, if I'm going to do that, I will be emptied of self. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. We can't, matter of fact, we can't do it in our own strength. We need God to help us to do that. And He will help us to do that. And, uh, you know, I need to hang my head and, and realize that there's times that I, I need to ask God again to help me to be more emptied of self. So as we think about profitability, profit, is prairie, am I,
profitable to the Lord Jesus Christ? I think each one of us has to answer that personally this morning.